0: So, where to begin? Uh,
1: I'll begin here. I wrote a song, a poem, and a song. Uh, for the occasion, and I will recite it to you and we'll
0: go through it. Udila aruna pindara upare, Sringar bhajai balaram, bhaire bhaire daki gojana tolaya, nidrita tataka shyam, tamate gogane udaya samaye, nabina Yena vitrita shyane gokula nandana, santushta Kare Shayana yashodavarane barane sinchi jaladia, Mukera sondara pier. Batu Narma Krishna Karanadi, Take Jagai Bolia Uta are kana Tomara Nayana, Kulia Guma Chadria, gopal Bane Jate Chai, Esho Amadera pier. Teko ki Sundara Arunima Kale. Sevaka seva ishwar Jagatera bandu ahankara gata Nitai Sachinandan bar He kanabalai eka sangajai Bane bane sar din Jabot koba dane jamuna puline go sebane chintohin Hama harama gobinda amara jugala goopinayana biram choke ashu hina candi candi bali
1: this is a song that um, describes the waking of Krishna in the morning after he's already woken up <laughs> secretly with his, from his rendezvous with the gopis and uh, gone home as they say only to be woken up again Shortly thereafter, in Vrindavan, Bhagwan never, never really sleeps. There is a big difference um, between Krishna in Vrindavan and Krishna, for example, on the other end of the spectrum as Mahavishnu. And in this regard, practically speaking, Mahavishnu sleeps most of the time. And when he, when he dreams the world... It doesn't turn out exactly the way he wanted, so he goes back to bed and uh then it comes again and goes and and so forth so at least half of his life is spent sleeping and as you move up the theological uh ladder hmm, from Mahavishnu, Vishnu, the first avatar, the first descent of uh, uh of Bhagawan from the paravyom, from the spiritual world. There he has many Prakash, many manifestations for Leela, both Aishwarya and Madhurya, and varieties within those as well. But the first avatar, if you will, the avatar means to, tara means to cross, ava means to, from up to down, so crossing down into the world of our mental, sensual, and intellectual experience. Avatar. So the Purusha, Mahavishnu is the first avatar. The background, of course, behind this is that it's been described by the most uh, um, venerable Krishna Kaviraj Goswami and Chaitanya Charitamrita that Narayan in Vaikuntha is sporting in his Aishwarya Leela with so many muktas, different kinds of muktas, Salokya, Sasti, Samipya, Sarupya, different types of liberated statuses within Vaikuntha. There's a fifth type of liberation that, that doesn't occur within Vaikuntha but outside of its borders, Sayuja, very undesirable from the devotional uh, perspective. But there are devotees who attain uh, mukti in Vaikuntha, uh, two different types, basically. Those who for whom the the perks, if you will, or these types of mukti to live on the same planet with with Bhagwan, to have the same opulences as, as Narayana, to have a form like like gods, hmm? to be the personal attendant of God, these are four types of mukti: salokya, sastya, sarupya, samipya. They don't pertain to Krishna and Vrindavan. You might think, well, we want to live on the same planet as Krishna, and he's God. But living in Goloka Vrindavan is not living on the same planet as God. It's living in a village where God is your friend. Hmm? Um, so it doesn't apply. It's a different idea altogether. To have the same opulences as Krishna uh, as God, that's not what it means to live in Goloka to have the same form as God, you may have a human-like form, and Krishna's form is human-like, but that's the distinction. It's not a God-like form. God has forearms, at least. Hmm. I've said before, sometimes, as my mother even would say, if we were pestering her too much to to have her do something when she was already doing something, she'd say, what well, do you think, I have forearms? Hmm. Uh, no, but... Uh, my implication is that God has four arms. He can do everything. Krishna only has two hands. Hmm. Good for loving. Hmm. Two arms for embracing. Uh, so, the way these types of opulences, they pertain to Vaikuntha, not to Goloka. Hmm. But some devotees, they want to attain them. They're very attractive. I mean, to think about, just like sometimes you find people in third world countries they want to go to America. It used to be a thing that for a, a young young boy in India would like to go to America, but Americans were not quick at the embassy to give visas to them because they weren't going to contribute anything. They thought they were coming, thinking the streets were paved with gold and to live on the same planet with the president. You know, where everything, where where even you could become the president. Of course, that doesn't that's not thought in Bikantha that. <laughs> You could become right, but you Become like him, hmm? have a form like his, Shasti, have opulences like his. Hmm? So this um, kind of idea. It's interesting to note, as an aside, that Prabhupada also wanted to go to America, like those boys at that time in the fifties and early sixties. He really wanted to go. And he would find out about America in the tea shops where he would distribute his back to Godhead magazine and find Christian tracts that were handed out by like Jehovah's Witnesses or somebody like that. And he would read the are there are their explanations of American social life and it all ended with, you know, and Jesus, you know, was there to save you and so forth. You've probably seen their their propaganda. It's one of the ways that he kind of found out about what was there were no computers, there was no internet. Um, and so forth. Um, so he pieced together what he could. He was very interested in America, just like some young Indian boy or man or girl even perhaps uh, wanted to find out about America and, and go there, but he had a completely different idea in mind. Hmm. He was so absorbed in wanting to go to America, but his purpose, Vaishnavera it said it's very difficult to understand the, the motive or the purpose, or the person of a Vaishnava because of his or her motive. Hmm? The implication being that they can act in ways that other people do for entirely different motives. Hmm? That's bhakti, right? Hmm? You don't have to tear down the house, you just have to change the foundation, which isn't so easy, but it can be done. <laughs> you jack up the building and take the old one out, put the new one in, and save yourself at least the trouble of building the rest of it. So, this is his uh, his his, his rag bhakti. Really, he was absorbed in what's going on in America. <laughs> Doesn't sound like uh, rag bhakti, but his motive there in doing that was to minister to them about the, comp- the dispensation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, as he was in his own words ordered to do. Although it was really a suggestion on the part of Bhakti Siddhanta, he took it as an order to uh, distribute the. The, the Gauravani. He, he described himself as such, Gauravani Pacharane, hmm? to distribute the words of Gauranga to the Paschachadesha Tarane, to the Western um, world. Hmm. This kind of absorption in what is really Sankirtan, the, the, the uh, Sankirtan is not merely the coal and the Kartal, uh, I don't mean to, in any way make less of that. Um, But uh, there's an extended idea of that, which sometimes we attribute to Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur who coined the term Brihatmardanga and and said that the the clay drum can be heard down the street, but the printing press, which he called the Brihatmardanga, the big drum, could be heard around the world. Um, But um, uh, much earlier than Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur we have the example of whom in the Bhagavatam, who became perfect by Kirtan? Who can who can answer? Who became perfect by Kirtan? There's Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam, Sukadeva Goswami. He didn't have a coal and cartel, he spoke the Bhagavatam. Hmm? So probably was playing on his drum, the dictaphone, and, and teaching, speaking, really the, chanting the Bhagavatam. Hmm? And uh, he said when he came, he was prepared to preach to the walls, if no one would listen. So he was very um, guru-nishta, very fixed in the order of his guru. And that, Gauravani pracharne and this we find in the person of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself. Hmm? Chaitanya Mahaprabhu retired in his auntie Leela. And um, those final years of his manifest pastime, um, he... Uh, was no longer a public figure. He was not accessible to the public. And if we read about his uh, absorption therein we can get some understanding of what Leela Seva is. Seva Sadaka Rupena Siddharu Rupena In Raghavakti, you, have to serve, you are to serve in a, in a Sadaka Deha and serve in a... In a Sadaka Deha means our practitioner's body. Hmm? ornamented with Tilak and Kuntimala and so forth, and uh,
2: yeah.
1: with a new name designating us as a Das or Dasi of Krishna and so forth. And then the day as a meditative internal body for Lila Seva, service in the Lila. Mm. So Mahabharata was showing that deep, uh, both sides of Seva in rag bhakti in his anti leela. Mm. You could see it's a full-time practice, and practically speaking, he was he could not function in relation to the world. He had to become a, a private person, and he was a very public person as a sannyasi, traveling the whole breadth of India and most of the length as well, and preaching to celebrities of the time, uh, Prakashananda Saraswati in Benares. Uh, sannyasis, the guru of many sannyasis, um, Sarvabhama Bhattacharya, the most learned um, logician in all of India at the time, Venkata Bhatta in South India, the head priest of the Sam, uh, Ramana Sampradaya there uh, were the, uh, this, their capital Shri, in Sri Rangam. Mm-hmm. These are the kind of people he interacted with, uh, celebrities of the time, and explained his Bhagavad-dharma, his prema-dharma to them and, and performed kirtan. He was a public figure and um, he was, to use Prabhupada's term, Western term, he was preaching. Hmm? This was the was the method, if you will, to his madness. Hmm? He served with his, with, of course he's just setting an example, this is Krishna, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, in his, what we call Acharya-lila, Krishna acting as the Acharya. And he taught primarily by example, although he gave instructions to Sarabhama, to, as I said, to Prakashananda, to, of course, his internal, his his own devotees, Rup, Sanatana, and so forth. These teachings are all recorded in Chaitanya Charitamrita. But my point is that he he was very much involved in trying to explain um, what he was about, what the Bhagavad was about, and share his this uh, uh, dispensation of prem, goloker premodhan, Harinam Sankirtan and serving in this way fully in his sadhika day, which is a consuming um, lifestyle. This hmm? inner life arose and took over at a certain point. He couldn't speak anymore to the public about Krishna. If you speak too much about Krishna, Krishna will cover your mouth and say, "You, you should be with me. <laughs> and take you out of the public life." And so, my point—only this is a rather long aside—but uh, is that this uh, internal life is, is not, a, not, a, not a not a cheap thing, not easily attained. It's attainable, and there's a method for this. The primary method is shown by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. We may say. Yes, but Chaitanya Mahaprabhu instructed Rupa in a particular way. They went and lived in Vrindavan and at Radhakund and so forth. <laughs> yeah, they did. But they—he gave them things to do, and they were very busy there. Hmm? They wrote many, many books, and it takes a lot to write a book, hmm? especially where they wrote and referenced so many other texts. Nana Shastri Chhara and Nabunosa Srinivas has described them like this. They had such an extraordinary um, um, grasp on the sacred text. Our uh, Guru Maharaj Puja, but Dev Goswami used to like to give the example of the United States, which uh, I think probably still to this day has the most powerful military and industrial complex but you don't see guns and rockets and tanks on the streets everywhere because that show of power will impede the peaceful commerce exchange between people. I mean, when you, if, you, if you come into the, to the whatever Macy's or Whole Foods and there's a guy out there with a machine gun, you know, it's a little intimidating. Although they're there to protect you, it's still a little intimidating... You're looking to think, there's some danger here. So all of the power is kept off at, you know, what's it, Station 59 or something, you know, inside of a mountain cave or, you know, somewhere off in... Syria. Yeah, somewhere. (laughs) It's hidden. It's hidden. It's underground. The bases and armories and so forth are off off limits. Hmm? And meanwhile, the people just interact peacefully and so on and so forth. But if the nation should be attacked, then all this power will come out. So he l- used this example to explain Vrindavan. Hmm. This is what we call realization. Hmm. So, to explain like this. So he, he, he said, in Vrindavan, all power is there. In the grains of sand, the dust of Vrindavan, all power is there. Hmm. Um, to drown the world. Enough knowledge to drown the world, Gorakshar Das Babaji Maharaj was illiterate. When Bhakti Siddhanta sent one sent one missionary to the West, to England, and he came back and he said, "They have some questions we cannot answer." Saraswati Thakur replied, the, the, "The dust from the feet of Gorakshar Das Babaji Maharaj has enough knowledge to drown the whole world, and he was illiterate." What so? Who? What, what is the dust of the feet of such a person? Hmm. The dust of Vrindavan. so a, a living place, fully animated, and so forth. But in Vrindavan, that knowledge, the power of that knowledge, it's hidden. It's grounded. It's not. It's not visible. If a sage comes, like Nard or Durvas, they'll pay respects and ask him, you know, for some advice, as if they don't know anything, because they're so absorbed in love of Krishna, that the knowledge is suppressed. Even the knowledge of the Godhood of Krishna is suppressed in order that the intimacy may proceed. Because if we knew we were sitting next to God, we'd say, oh my God, and we'd have to step back. So for the sake of intimacy, hmm, the Absolute takes on a finite-like appearance to to, to relate with the finite in love. And so the power of knowledge is suppressed. But when those Gopikas, for example, young 13, 12 year old girls, Rupa Manjari, hmm, come in their sadaka days as Rupa Goswami, in a world where there's a need for knowledge, hmm, of a huge need, because the whole basis of the world is ignorance, the ignorance of material attachment and the suffering that accrues from that, hmm? then we find that girl has lots of knowledge. Her understanding in her, in her, in her practitioner's body, as Rupa Goswami, um, as I said, he, Sanatana, Jiva Goswami, their command of the sacred text of revelation is, is extraordinary. I used to read Prabhupada's books when I was a young, young young man, and think, man, you know, he's he's quoting all, he read all these books, he's quoting this book and that book. I realized later that he actually (coughs) was reading the commentaries of the Goswamis, and they had read all these books. And again, to use a nice example of of, uh, of Guru Maharaj, Pujapachita Maharaj, he said, the Goswamis, they made a garland out of jewels by drilling holes in the jewels which is the hard part, and left for us the task of just putting the string in. Hmm? It made it easy for us. Hmm? Not that Prabhupada didn't make much effort and, and so on and so forth, but these are the founding acharyas. They, they've, they've set it all up and now to disseminate is, is the work and represent them accurately. Their texts are the defining text. What is our Understanding of revelation that we call Gaudiya Vedanta, Gaudiya Vaishnavism, and so forth. So, um, at any rate, uh, there's a need for knowledge in this world, and and Mahabharata was involved in that uh, dissemination in his Sadhika Deha. Hmm? Uh, apparently, in a, in, a, in a practitioner's body as an acharya, hmm? and teaching by example as well as by precept, uh, and so forth. And uh, this was his 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 public life. He was uh, very um, busy. We can say the Gosv- yes, but the goswamis were sent to. They lived in radhakund They did not. They did. They just sat in radhakund No, they wrote books. And 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 they was not they were very busy doing that. They Rupa Goswami was the architect for the Radha Govinda Temple, which was a blend of Mughal and Hindu architecture. That that he sought to say by its design, let's uh, cooperate here, the Muslims and the Hindus. In, in its essence, uh, religion is speaking about the same thing. Hmm? In essence, there's an underlying common ground. No need to fight over this. That's just, this is behind, this, this is that's an extraordinary work to design a temple. And the, the temples of the Goswamis, they're they're huge. I mean, Radha Govinda is, is an extraordinary work of art, and uh, the other temples of the Goswamis, Radha Dhamda, Radha Raman. There's originally
3: six
2: stories,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and they got the, the, the patronage of the kings, which means the political uh, sector of the society. They, uh, their attention was, was uh, captured by the Goswamis such that it, that it was thought that if you were a king and you did not have a temple or you ha- for, in Vrindavan, or you had not built a ghat, to, uh, or some monument to commemorate a, a sacred bathing place or a place of, of, of uh, a Lila Stali, a place of Krishna Lila, all of which was being revealed by the Goswamis through their work, their writing, and so forth. If you didn't have, then you were nobody. At a certain point, wealth is not based on how much money you have, but how you spent it, what kind of artwork you have, what kind of house you have, and so forth. So if you didn't, if you were a king... And you didn't have something in Vrindavan where you'd thrown a lot of money to commemorate something that the Goswami said was going on here or there. You they weren't high on the social ladder, something like that. So they, they got the patronage of the king. So you know, they weren't just sitting
2: and
1: eating, which is good too, but and important. But they were very they were very busy and set a nice example, as Mahaprabhu did. He told them, Sanatana in particular, who was the leader amongst them in Gauravila, to write books, of philosophy, and also uh, explain the sadachar, the behavior for, for our sect, Establish that, which is Hari Bhakti Vilas, not a philosophical book, but a book of decorum and procedure and so forth. Then the philosophical books, they asked for that, to establish the worship of the deities and... The, leelas, the place of Krishna's lilas, to uncover them. Hmm? So they were very very busy there preparing the Dham and showcasing it, which had been covered to the world, hmm? as Bhakti Vinod did in his time in relation to Navadvita, as our Prabhupada also did in relation to Vrindavan and made it accessible and known outside of India and so forth. Hmm? He was very busy, don't think the Goswamis were not as busy as as Prabhupada was. So okay, anyway, keep busy <laughs> in the sadhaka daya. This is something given to us by our guru. The disciple got initiated. Gurudev said, here, this is your sadhaka daya. You wear it to your lot like this. He said, but Gurudev, what about my siddha daya? And then the guru said, what, you don't like what I gave you? <laughs> Use that. Hmm? By using that properly, you will get a siddhadeha. Hmm? You can't, you can't not you not use every drop of blood in your sadhaka deha for Krishna, and expect to get a siddhadeha. It won't happen. Hmm? It won't happen. Hmm. And when you do, then hmm, then there's no questioning. Hmm? When bhava comes, we don't have questions like what's the difference between my spiritual and material emotions? How do I know the difference between a spiritual emotion and a material emotion? Hmm. Guru Maharsha gave another example. girl was pregnant, about to go into labor, first child, but needed to take some rest. Asked her mother, if I go into labor, would you wake me up? Mom said, there will be no need for that. You will know when you go into labor. All questions are answered. Hmm when bhava comes when we advance we know hmm? it, it that's the nature of our of spiritual progress it answers questions it doesn't it doesn't leave you doubting it's a kind of knowledge that makes you feel like there's no need to inquire now i know something beyond inquiring i'm satisfied hmm? uh, otherwise everyone's busy inquiring hmm? How to do this, how to eat. Mm. Bhagavatam begins like that in Sukhavak's uh, speech to Pariksit Maharaj. What does he say there? Mm. Sahasra? I forget now, it's a long time. Thousands of questions there are in human society. Mm. Everyone's asking. The bird is asking, where's the worm? And and the worm is asking, how do I avoid the bird? (laughs) And so on and so forth. So all those questions and all the how questions and when the why question is comprehensively answered, and that question why question it 's a question of the of the Atma of the self why am i it 's a qualitative question it 's not a quantitative question that pertains to the physical realm, the body or the, the psychic dimension that 's absorbed in the physical realm, and all of its thoughts are about the physical realm hmm? why am I hmm? This is the existential crisis that human life constitutes. And inquire about that. This inquiry is different than the inquiry in the less complex forms of life, which again is the how questions, how to eat, how to sleep, how to mate, and so forth. Why am I? What is the purpose, meaning in life? This question has to come from the subjective realm, not from the objective world. Hmm? Revelation is coming from there. Hmm? The guru is representing that, speaking that to us. Hmm? So, um, with ardent inquiry into this in the right place in the right repose in the right uh, place then the answers come mm-hmm. there's a sense of fulfillment satisfaction sense of knowing mm-hmm. knowing and, and of course an unknowing at the same time being comfortable with unknowing. Now we're not comfortable with unknowing. We want to know so that we can become comfortable, answer everything, hmm? and control the situation. But the situation is out of our control. It's out of Krishna's control. Hmm? The Bhagavatam says in Second Canto that Krishna cannot understand the measure of his own the doings of his own Yogamaya. Hmm? <laughs> the Shruti glorifies him and later in the same in, Bhagavatam, in the 10th um, canto, the personified Vedas, they say that uh, even, uh, even uh, what do they say? You, you, you don't, uh, how can we know everything? You glorify us. Bhagavan's glorifying the Vedas. You glorify us, that we we know everything. How can we know everything? Even you don't know everything. And Krishna says, then I guess I'm not omniscient. No, you are.
2: Hmm?
1: (coughs) They say, even you don't know your own limits, then I must not be omniscient. No, they say, they're very clever, the Shruti. (laughs) No, you're omniscient. You don't have any limits. How can you know something that doesn't exist? Your limits don't exist. Of course you don't know them. Mm? That's not a fault. Mm? And those limits, they are extended by Yoga Maya. That's what she does. I mean, that means the Sarup Shakti is always manifesting in newer and newer, fresher and fresher ways for the pleasure of Bhagawan. And so that realm at Goloka is always something new and nothing new because it's the nature of the sarup shakti to manifest in fresher and newer and newer ways all the time. That's not a new thing when it happens. That's the nature of the place. Here are the same things repeat themselves over and over again and prallad is called it therefore puna punas charvananam, chewing the chewed. You buy a new house because someone's trying to get rid of it. Hmm? Either they want to that's that's life. (laughs) Right? Yeah. someone's dying to get rid of it and you're dying to buy it hmm? so that, this just one example if we can go on and on the whole world is like this is the simple uh, verdict of Prahlad Maharaj. the world is just chewing the chewed someone else lived there is just can't wait to spit it out And your mouth is open put it here, I'll try it something like that So this is, it's the same thing over and over again examples given sometimes that a prostitute has only one thing to offer, her customer, but she dresses herself differently each night, as if as if there's something, something, <laughs> something fresh, <laughs> something different. Mm-hmm. Take off the clothes. That's the same thing again. <laughs> so, this is material life constantly offering an appetizer, never uh, the result of which is a full meal. Never comes. Only indigestion. You eat too many appetizers. We get indigestion. But from the other world, from the other side, just a drop from there can satisfy us.
2: Hmm.
1: And satisfying us, and it, it, it satisfies us in a very peculiar way, as I'm saying. It gives us a kind of comprehensive knowing that makes us comfortable with unknowing. Love is a knowing and an unknowing at the same time. What's next? Hmm. Where will it go? Hmm. Leela is like that. There's some uncertainty, Mm -hmm. but it's okay. Mm -hmm. There's some uncertainty in love as much as there is certainty in love at the same time. Spiritual life really is like that. We don't know. We feel uncomfortable. We want to know everything. We try materially, then we try spiritually, and then we think we know everything because we can repeat some dogma. Mm -hmm although we haven't really applied any of it or very little of it in our own life, to bring about a change. Mm-hmm. So it's like I wanted to know the meaning of life. Now I know, so I could just get on with my life. <laughs> and so this is, a, this is a kind of a religious sleight of hand that we unfortunately come under, um, intellectual sleight of hand. Now I know, and I can tell everybody, yeah. I can tell you should do this, and guys like that. And meanwhile, I go on and do my... <laughs> Whatever it is, that's not in the book. (laughs) Something like that. So, but as we actually start to embrace the teaching by applying it in our lives, and again, to what extent? Well, again, you have to shed every, be prepared to shed every drop of blood for this. Hmm? It's not an easy, this is the greatest, you know, adventure and challenge. So, as you start to do that, then the the what the teachings become very very broad hmm? the road now becomes straight, but it's not narrow in the beginning, the road seems curved, and there's ups and downs, my sadhana, but oh, they be going the wrong way, oh coming back, and so forth, but then the road straightens out as we come to nishta, it's straight now, but it's not narrow, it's very broad. And scriptural texts take on numerous meanings and all types of possibilities. There's many different ways within the, with the within the parameters of the siddhanta. So much difference of bhava and so forth. Possibilities are there. Hmm. So there's some comfort then on the road ahead, even as there's an unknowing. It's a different kind of unknowing than the material unknowing, if you will. He is unknowable. Hmm? The Upanishads say, he who says he knows Brahman does not know Brahman. He who says, I don't know Brahman, he knows Brahman. (coughs) You know the story of the Srimad Bhagavatam, how many times I've told that. I'll tell it real quick. There was a, a son sent his... Father sent his son to Benares to learn Srimad Bhagavatam. It's a place of learn to, to get an education. He went to Benares. It's a seat of learning in India. came back from Benares and the father said, So did you get an education? He said, Oh yes, it was a great school there. I mean, really taught me well. So the father said, Did you, did you study Srimad Bhagavatam? He said, I don't think that was on the list of uh, the books in a course. Father said, then you're not an educated person. You go back to Benares and study Shrimad Bhagavatam. Then you'll be a learned person. So he went back and he studied Shrimad Bhagavatam. He came back and his father said, so did you study Shrimad Bhagavatam? And yes, he said, now I know why you sent me because that book surpasses all other books. Knowing that book alone constitutes being educated. I can appreciate it. So father said, so you um, understood Shrimad Bhagavatam? He said, yes. He said, go back to Benares. <laughs> Study Srimad Bhagavatam again. Hmm? She went and studied a second time. She went Bhagavatam came back. Father said, so did you study again? He said, yes. And and, and, and uh, so do you, um, did you understand Srimad Bhagavatam? He said, yes, I understand why you sent me back a second time to study it. I thought I understood it the first time, or right after the second time. Now I understand. Father said, go back.
2: <laughs>
1: study Srimad Bhagavatam the third time. Again he returned Father said, so did you study Srimad Bhagavatam?" He said, yes. And, did you understand? He said, no. He said, now you are educated. <laughs> I cannot understand it. It is beyond, uh, it is un- un- unknowable. And that's okay. It's lovable. He's lovable. He does not know everything about himself, even. Hmm? But he's lovable. There used to be a song when we were kids in the, in the late 50s to know, 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 to love, love, love him is to know him, something like that, to love him is to know so, <laughs> so this is our uh, chorus, and I've gone some directions here I didn't intend, as you know we were describing a song here that was uh, written for the occasion of Baldev uh, Purnim, hmm? and um not sure how we segued into all those points there, but they're they're they worth um, considering. Um, and, but as I was saying, welcome. This uh, this song is a Bengali song. Uh, I wrote originally in English, and with the help of my student Shamsundar, we put it into into, into Bangala. And uh, it's uh, really a Mongol Artik song. Mm-hmm. Um, for uh, welcome Krishna and Balaram and, um, and as I said as I was saying it constitutes a uh, the second waking describes the second waking of Krishna The first waking in the forest and, uh, and he better get home quickly before everybody wakes up and they find out that he's in the forest again I was saying he doesn't sleep practically two ends of the spectrum Mahavishnu He's practically sleeping at least 50% of the time. And when he manifests the world, it, it puts him to sleep. Hmm? He manifests the world, he's excited. I am one, let me become many. But there are so many problems that arise for the many in relation to his jurisdiction, material world. He thinks, I better go back to bed. What, about, what happened here? Hmm? And the whole thing enfolds back within him. And then again it comes... And, of course, as it comes, he avatars. He's the primal avatar, and through him, the different Vishnu avatars, Kurma, hmm, and uh, Narasimha, Ramana and so forth. They all come, right? Hmm. To try to remedy the problem of the world. Hmm. This began, this world, as I was saying, in Vaikuntha. In Vaikuntha, there are some souls that want to be there because they know, this is their motive, I could live on the same planet as God, Salokya. I could have a body like form like God. Sarupya. I could have opulences like God. Sharsti, This is one type of devotee. There's another type who, who want preem only. And secondarily they accept these one of these opulences. A little desire for it. But they're primarily motivated by love. So Vaikuntha is a big place. It's, it's varied in terms of its inhabitants there. Hmm? But in that place, all are muktas. So Narayan is, as Chaitanya Charitamrita says, I was explaining, is satisfied in his lila, aishvarya lila, hmm? but an upsurge within his heart comes for bestowing mukti, these kinds of mukti on someone. I would like to bestow this mukti on someone. What to do? Everybody's got mukti. How can I bestow mukti on anyone? So another world is necessary. He's satyasankalpa, whatever he wants happens. None of this happens, of course, in time. Um, but the point being that Narayan has, is an abode of love, so compassion is a kind of love. Hmm? It's not very... It doesn't have much place in a world where everybody's liberated <coughs> There's no need to be compassionate towards them. <laughs> They're perfect. They're siddhas. We extend compassion to someone who's in need. They're not in need. Hmm? So another world is required for the god to be compassionate. And so the material world and this Mahasankarshan. Hmm? That is Baladev. This is his day in Bhai Kunta, becomes the Mahavishnu. Hmm? and the jivas issue forth Hmm. they have no beginning in time of course Hmm. but he seeks to end their material sojourn by giving them bodies according to their karma and along with the force or influence of karma in the world the influence of bhakti again he avatars further for this purpose, manifest the veda and so on and so forth this is Mahavishnu Hmm. material world Vaikuntha, Goloka. And if we go from Mahavishnu to Krishna on a, up the ladder theologically, we find God is more and more awake. Hmm? Mahavishnu is mostly sleeping. And we, as we go, we end up in Goloka. The Svarupa Shakti is more manifest. The more the Svarupa Shakti or Bhakti is manifest, the more God is busy attending to that, re- responding to that, relishing that, and so forth. So in Goloka, of course, this, this is where the Swarup Shakti or Bhakti is so fully, fully manifest. The full face of Bhakti is Mahabha Swarupini Radha. Hmm? And standing next to Swayam Bhagavan, that Swayam Bhagavan, he can never sleep. Hmm?
2: Hmm?
1: He gets a wink after running home and pulling up the covers, uh, only to be... Woken, and that's this. This song is about that that time, and it begins that second waking in the morning at six, about six a.m. With what it is? Udila uh, aruna mm-hmm. means arun. Arun is the color of the the sun at sunrise. It's reddish, saffronish, reddish, orange. It is that it's also the color that uh, the co- each emotion in Indian aesthetics has a color, a corresponding color, just like we have hot and cold colors and so forth. So all the all the bhavas have colors. The color, Arun, is the color of Sakya Bhav, of Sakya Ras. Hmm? Udila Aruna means just with the rising of the sun, hmm? rising of this, what happens. Udila Aruna. Pindaru Upare. Sringar Bhajai Balaram. Balaram, Pindaru upare means, upare means he gets up on a raised platform. Hmm? And what does he do? Sringa Bhajai Balaram. His, his, his buffalo horn, Sringa Balaram bugles this horn. What happens at this time then is he's signaling, Krishna has the flute. He also has a buffalo horn. Balaram has a buffalo horn, and he also has a flute. Krishna is more known for playing his flute, which puts everybody knocks everybody out, it makes them unconscious practically. Balaram is more known for his buffalo horn, which wakes everybody up for service.
2: Hmm?
1: He's calling everybody. He is. He he is. There is the Savior Bhagavan and Saburka Bhagavan. Hmm? It's mentioned here.
0: Dekoki Sundara Arunya Malkale Sevuka
1: Sevu This is Krishna Balaram. The personality of Godhead in Prabhupada's language served the personality of Godhead servitor. He is the personification of service. It is said in Chaitanya Charitamrita also, Say Balaram, Say, what is it? Um, uh, Say, Balaram Mool Bhakta Abhiman. Hmm? The Mool, the root of the Bhakti Abhiman, the serving ego, Bhakta Abhiman, this, uh, the ego of a devotee, which at the baseline is service. If you love someone, you serve them. Balaram is the root of this.
2: Hmm? Hmm.
1: So, he's a very interesting uh, theological uh, figure, um, and here he's blowing his horn, waking up all of the cowherds, who now will rise up and race out to come to the courtyard of Nanda Maharaj and stamp their feet and blow their horns and 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 make the call. Bi dhaki gojana nidrita So they call, oh brother, brother. Hmm. Get up. Mm. Sham is, of course, kind of sleeping. Mm. So, um, this um, uh, very peculiar, uh, Baladev, in a number of ways, one of the ways that's significant and very interesting is that he is the first, of course, expansion of Krishna. He's the, uh, he's the older brother. Mm. In Bhava, he's first. In tattva, he's second. Mm-hmm. Uh, in tattva, he's the expansion of Krishna. There are aspects of Krishna's, in terms of his emotional content, that are not present in, in, in Balaram. Mm-hmm. So it makes him second in tattva, but he's first in 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 uh, uh, in, in lila. He's the older brother, mm-hmm. Dauji. He's the Mariada Purusha of Krishna, he, the Mother Yasoda's command. He watches over Krishna, makes sure Krishna behaves himself properly, reports on him. He ate dirt. Hmm, you know the story. Oh, that was the, that caused a rift between the two brothers. Hmm? How could you say that? How could you tell her that? Why did you fib on me? Why did you, why did you turn me in like that? Hmm? Yeah, but there was a reason behind it. Many, many things came from that. That, uh, that 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 leela hmm? uh, so balaram he watches over krishna hmm? at the insistence of mother Yashoda. you might wonder maryada means the the, the etiquette and that he behaves properly what about his rendezvous with the gopis hmm? how does he allow that if he that's improper hmm. that tells you how proper it is the balaram doesn't get in the way of that he steps out of the way that it might flourish if he was there as the older brother, the capacity for Radha to become intimate with Govinda would be, would be suppressed in the presence of an older brother. So he, he gets out of the way that it might happen, that it might take place. The peculiar thing that I want to mention about Balarama in this regard is that he is the one personality of Godhead who in Vrindavan itself really has no real consort Everybody else, Ram has Sita, you go down the list. Everyone's got a consort. Hmm? Every expansion of Krishna, the Adi Purush, there is an expansion of the Shakti Tattva. Hmm? Balaram has a Shakti Tattva expansion in Vrindavan. What is her name? Manjari. That's his Shakti Tattva expansion. But he's not having any relationship with her. In that form, in the Shakti form, she's serving Radha and Krishna, and in his own form, he's serving Krishna. And he's also serving Radha more, a little bit indirectly, let's say, by, by getting out of the way, hmm? making that all possible, and not reporting that hmm? to the Vatsalya-vaktas. Hmm? He could. He knows everything. Hmm? He approves it. He's the Mariyata purushi He's approving this. It's implicit hmm? in his actions. When he comes as Nityananda how much he approves that. Hmm? He is behind the authorship of the Chaitanya Charitamrita. He made that possible. He's behind the authorship of Chaitanya Bhagwat. Brindabandha hmm? says, "The antaryami in my heart, Nityananda Ram, told me to write this book." Krishnadas was left home hmm? because his brother offended Nityananda Ram, and and he was homeless. That night, Nityananda Ram came. Hmm? With his other Dwadasagopals chanting Krishna, Krishna, dressed like coward boys. And Nitinanda Ram told him, (coughs) Go to Vrindavan, I give you permission. You can go now. If you get a pass from Balaram, you can go. Hmm? And there he said, All your desires will be fulfilled. And there he was given the commission. He was to, to write Chaitanya Charitamrita. This book is all about Manjari Bhav. That's what Chaitanya Charitamrita is about. Hmm? You have to go to the Gita of the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Hmm? Just like the Gita, Bhagavad Gita, gives the Mahabharata meaning without it. Hmm? It's, a, it's a book of morals and so forth. Hmm? So Chaitanya Charitamrita, without the Ramananda Samavad, we won't know what is the goal and what is the way. Hmm? The conversation between Ramananda Roy and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And what is that conversation? That's the Bhagavad Gita. Because who is Ramananda Roy? Mahaprabhu said with his own lotus mouth, he's heard Arjun. Hmm? He saw him as Arjun. In Bhagavad Gita, Pandava asked the questions and Krishna answered. In Ramananda Sambhad, Krishna wanted to know, did he understand it very well? Hmm? So Krishna Chaitanya asked the questions and Pandava in, in the form of Ramananda Roy, gave all the answers. He understood Bhagavad Gita very well. He understood that the secret inside of Bhagavad Gita is pointing to Vrindavan. Hmm? It's pointing to the bridge. Rasa. Even from Kurukshetra, it's pointing there. The essential verses, Chatra Sloka, Gita, is all about rag bhakti tushanti hmm? Krishna says, tushanti caramanti It means samandarupa, rupa bhakti hmm? By hearing about me, and so forth, you will attain. Hmm? That means... Some Sambandarupa means Vatsalya, Dasya Sakya, all under the jurisdiction of Balaram. Kamarupa means Madrasa, under the jurisdiction of 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 Radhika. Hmm? So so Balaram, hmm? He has no consort. Yes, it's true. Balaram has some gopis. That's a fact. Hmm? They met, they rendezvoused during holy Krishna was there too with his gopis. Who else was there? If you study the Bhagavatam carefully, you see so many friends were there. Hmm? That means it was like young kids playing, holy.
2: Hmm?
1: Not like Rasalila with Krishna and gopis. Hmm? Hmm. Not like that. Hmm? Then Balaram left. Of course, Krishna left, so he left. They went, apparently, anyway, to Mathura, to Dwarka. Then he couldn't stay away. He felt a pain for the people of Vrindavan. He wanted to return. Hmm? Krishna sent a message. Balaram returned. Balaram tried to pacify Krishna's gopis. And then, as Jiva Goswami explains in Gopal Champu, those girls that were there at Holi, who had some attraction to Balaram, Nandumaraj insisted, you should, you're should. you here now, you should marry them. Hmm? They're living. They won't. They won't go anywhere without you. You should marry them. Hmm. So yes, he has some gopis. There's a side that if he ma- but it's not parakia. And Bhakti Saraswati Thakur in his commentary on Chaitanya Bhagwat, he says, yes, Krishna and Balarama, are one and different. And one of the ways in which they're different is that Krishna's romance with the gopis. That is Ragmar. And Balaram's romance with the gopis is Mariada. Mariada means Vaidi. It means this means this is not what Balaram is really about. Hmm? What he's really about is he's like the emotion of friendship personified. He's the best friend of Krishna. Hmm? <laughs> hmm? So he has no consort. Yes, when he goes to Dwarka he marries Rebati, but in Vrindavan where he's full, the full face of Balaram. This is a peculiar thing. It just goes to show. This is the window through which we view him. From the that the Goswamis have offered us the full face of Balaram. He is the the the, the Sevaka Bhagavan. He's completely. He he's very peculiar. He's God, but he's acting in two ways. Like God, being the leader of Sakyarasa, so many coward boys are attached to him. And he's also acting like a Shakti because he personifies Sakyarasa and that and, and and personifies the ideal. Hmm? Yes, you have Radha. Radha in rasa is 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 both Um, I would say, uh, she's uh, both uh, object of worship and um, uh, example of worship. Hmm? But she's Shakti Tattva. Hmm? And she's object of worship. Krishna is the object of worship. Hmm? He is the center of all rasa. All Rasa, he's Rasa Raj. All Rasa goes around him. It is only in the peculiar face of Madhurya Rasa, sometimes referred to as Manjaribhava, hmm, that Radha seems to ascend to a to a co-position with Krishna as the object of love.
2: Hmm? Kind of.
1: Even Rupajiva Goswami says, actually, it's not quite like that. But, hmm. So, so she's Shakti Tattva. More typically exemplifying bhakti, the way. Hmm? But Balaram is actually Purusha. He's actually Bhagavan, hmm? Vishnu Tattva, and showing the way hmm? Poor Sakirasa. So he has no consort in Vidal. It's an Interesting point to consider, to understand him properly and fully. And here, he blows on his buffalo horn, hmm? and this wakes everyone up. the Thakur, from the early 1700s, just at the turn of the 18th century, um, is a famous devotee in Sakharasin wrote a book about it, uh, Preo Bhakti Rasarnava, um, the Bengali book. And um, in the book he makes the point that these Sakhas, these friends of Krishna, at night, when it's time to go to bed, they go to bed, for the most part. hmm, and Krishna, of course, as we mentioned there he stays up and he's going out the window, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so this Nananda the Thakur, he used to recite Lila, Lila Kata, but he would never recite after the hour that the coward boys went to bed. He would he would never he would be silent only even if he was awake he would be silent at that time. Mm-hmm. But he came under the uh into under the influence of a particular king who wanted to hear leela Kata from him and he wanted it at night tomorrow night you will recite leela Kata. so he was like trouble if i don't recite leela Kata at night the king probably cut off my head hmm? this was, things were different in those days and but if i but i can't because there's no leela to recite for for someone in my bhav and i recite out of my bav hmm? So that night, Krishna came to him in a dream. Hmm. And I, I found this out because I, I sent him an, a, a representative to the village to explore this, uh, uh, the source of this book and other things and so forth. And this story came. Nine of them th- this story, because the Thakur in his book says, and the cowherds at night, they dream about Krishna all night long. And the way he came to that was that Krishna told him in a dream that night before he had to recite, you can recite at night the Leela. It's okay because the coward boys they're asleep, but they're dreaming about the Leelas all night long. <laughs> so he put this point without telling the story of Krishna's appearance, he put the point in the, this is what they do at night, they they're dreaming. <laughs> So Balaram's waking them up, waking the whole of Vrindavan up to serve Krishna. And then the coward boys are, are coming in the millions into the courtyard of Nanda Maharaj and stamping their feet and so forth. And so we haven't got time to go through the whole song, but I uh we just a little bit about the first verse and some other <laughs> points. <laughs> forgive me. But um but um this is a beautiful day to uh discuss such things, the position of Balaram in in Krishna-lila and, of course, in gaur lila Krishna comes to experience the uh, uh, himself from Radha's perspective, and Balaram is right there, first on the spot. Hmm? He started the whole sampradaya. Hmm? Mahaprabhu started to quietly teach his students to chant Krishna-nam, and what did Nityanandabhu say? Said, gouranga 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 no. Chant the name of Gaur. Give the teachings of Gaur. Worship Gaur. Not Krishna. His age is is gone. Hmm? This is before any of the Goswami's books were written, any theology, anything. He just came out with it very boldly. And his associates, they started initiating. Hmm? This is the beginning of the Sampradayam. Later, then, it developed in other ways as well. Hmm? So uh, we are fortunate to come together as a group of devotees in a sacred sacred place and discuss some tip of the iceberg about Maladev Tattva. Any question? Yes.
3: Um. Sixteen years ago, you came to my house, and there was a picture of you. You talked previously about Mahavishnu.
1: Yeah, I remember that on your hall, in your hallway, on oh, uh, Not
3: Mahavishnu, but Vishnu.
1: You still don't know the answer, right? Yeah, it
3: is yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so you, uh, I said to you, because Mahavishnu lies down in the corner of the spiritual sky, and out of his uh, pores come the universes. Yeah. And then he expands into the universe and there's water on the bottom of each universe. He lays down in the universe. Mm-hmm. And then a lotus flower grows <coughs> up of was navel, and there's Lord Brahma, and Lord Brahma goes on with creation. Yeah, yeah. So I said to you, I said, Is that what really happens?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: And your yeah. and your reply was the sage some of the sages have envisioned it in that way. You didn't say yes, you didn't say no. It wasn't like you know a hard answer there. Some of the sages have envisioned it in that way. So I kind of left it at that. It's like some of the sages have envisioned it that way. So do you have any further to add to that?
1: (laughs) Yes, I do, actually, I do. That the the visions of the sages, if you will, uh, and the descriptions of that which is beyond time, space, which is ineffable, Beyond words, beyond thought, hmm. um, their descriptions of such um, are not adequate to describe the full measure of the subjective world and all its possibilities. But their descriptions, nonetheless, because that's the limits of words, There's the limit, limits of philosophy and so forth. If Capture the whole thing, but their descriptions, nonetheless, have great power. Hmm? And the descriptions from our Goswamis about the Yom, for example, let's include Mahavishnu in that, and and, and so forth. Um, they are, in my uh, experience, the most comprehensive uh, explanations of a a world of divine love. Hmm? In various religious religious traditions, and there are not a lot of them to choose from, that are genuine, genuine, are ego-effacing. I mean, even Buddhism is ego-effacing. So it it takes you somewhere beyond the limits of our sensual, mental, and intellectual experience. We call it nirvana. To blow out, it means to extinguish. But let me make a point to you. Even within Buddhism, hmm? especially in the popular form, Tibetan Buddhism, you have a mind. That means you have a realm that the modern scientific community, in majority at least, doesn't accept exists. Hmm? You have a mind. They, 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 in Buddhism, modern materialism and a scientific push for materialism to to bring everything down to physical matter hmm, does not accept that there's a real thing called a mind. Hmm? That means apples are not really red and roses don't really smell sweet. Smells, sights, tastes, all these things are not part of so-called reality, physical matter. There is some kind of weird thing that goes on in the brain It's also just physical matter, that somehow comes up with subjective experiences, which just don't fit into the... But we're going to try to show that, that it's just some illusion in the brain that causes this illusion of beauty, f- uh, fragrance, uh, sounds, uh, all qualitative experiences... You understand? This is materialism, and it's pretty bleak. (laughs) It's pretty bleak. Uh, It's the dominant philosophy in the world today. Hmm? So so it's thought to be backed up by science. Of course, it's not, Hmm? and they can't prove that. They're so far from proving that that it's that that they have to keep stretching the thing and making matter bigger and bigger. Anyway, the point is that in Buddhism there is a mind. That means it's an actual ontological reality. They acknowledge Buddhism, because it comes from Hinduism, the same explanation of matter called Sankhya, hmm, in the Sankhya philosophy, that has a physical and a psychic form of matter. And the physical form of matter comes out of the psychic form of matter. The Sankhya rishis, they, they thought, that if I analyze my psyche, myself, I know that I exist. That's the only thing I really know. That will never change. Hmm? I exist. I know that. Hmm? Uh, that's the basis of all other knowing. Hmm? Consciousness is the ground from which everything, other, other kind of knowing, and it, it proceeds, the knowing that I am. Hmm? And they, they realize that in myself, there are three things. There is, uh, like, um, how would you say, Um, uh, contentment there's discontentment and there's delusion to give it other words there's sattva, there's rajas and there's tamas and I experienced this and then they projected that therefore in the physical objective world which is coming out of the subjective world because the physical world objective world has no meaning without the subjective observer that there must be these three things in physical matter also. These are the famous gunas, of course, that are the basis of the whole matter from the Bhagavad's perspective. And that description of matter is a description of matter as information. Matter is information. It's a complex subject, to be sure. But interestingly, that is... What is matter is is a huge question in modern science today. And there are people that are starting to posit... It's information. Hmm? Bhagavatam may may come to their aid, but the Buddhists accept the same Sankhya explanation of matter that the Vedantins do. There are different forms of Sankhya, obviously. There's non theistic Sankhya, and there's the theistic Sankhya of the Bhagavatam. Hmm? Uh, So Buddhism would be a non theistic form of Sankhya. But my point is that it accepts psychic matter. And when it accepts psychic matter, it means it accepts all kinds of possibilities that don't exist in physical matter. It's a wild world with goddesses and gods with different heads and more than one head and arms and all that stuff hmm? that's unbelievable from the limits of our you know, present experience of the, of the physical world limited as our experience is. My point is that Buddhism is a non-theistic spiritual tradition that also accepts fantastic things if you will, do hmm? you understand what I mean by fantastic? Is like we don't have any experience of people with many heads and so forth. The, without that subtle world, there's no reincarnation for Buddhism. Hmm? So there's this whole world. There are some sci- people in the scientific community that are starting to think maybe there's another category of matter, mental matter. We don't know its laws and so forth and how it works. Hmm? There's category, another category of matter. It's starting to go in that direction. But all these spiritual traditions, real spiritual traditions that our ego are facing, accept that there's, these, there's this under, underworld, invisible world, at least in the psychic dimension. Now, now according to Vedanta, so, so you know, the Mahabishnu, like there's this big guy lying out there somewhere, and universes are coming out of the pores of his body. I don't know if I can believe that. Hmm? You have to look at it practically. Is there something called a mind? If there is, wow! What possibilities that open? Here are people, Buddhists, who reincarnate and remember their previous reincarnation. Some of the Tibetan lamas and so on and so forth, and they're seeing these gods and goddesses and, and in the psychic world. They're making mandalas and paintings of them and so on and so forth. Hmm? Now, you, if you're in the scientific community, you're starting to accept maybe there's something called subtle matter. Maybe you should talk to somebody that's back, got a little bit of a handle on it. <laughs> And has experienced it and says, you know, there's all kind of gods and goddesses and four-headed people and, 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 and so forth. Hmm? I'm trying to make it more real to, to, to everybody, if you will. Hmm? So this is, this is in Buddhism. Now let's take it way to Vedanta. Okay, Here's another non-theistic sector of experiential spirituality. People like to be at waitance because they don't have to accept all the religious baggage. Of Krishna, and the God, and he's supposed to be real, and you know, I can't believe all that stuff. It's, it's, you know, it's just a, it's just a story, a myth. Well, talk to Shankar, because in Shankar's philosophy, there is an Ishwar, hmm? and Ishwar is the basis of the whole unfolding of matter in its psychic and and physical dimensions, hmm? and amongst the various forms of Ishwar, Krishna is the Purna avatar. Hmm? I mean, you, if you really read Shankar, what he says about Krishna, you'll be embarrassed. He loves Krishna more than you do. And he's not a devotee. <laughs> I mean, he, he he has a philosophy where, of course, the Ishwar disappears and, and there's Brahman and so forth. That's not good. But 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 he point being that he accepts not only a psychic reality like the Buddhists, but also a spiritual reality with a personality of Godhead, Leela and all this so-called baggage, he accepts it all. And it's all very um, basic and central to the physical world and all that it constitutes. And then if we go to, to, the, to, the, to Christianity, hmm, esoteric Christianity, there's mystics and saints in Christianity, they all accept a psychic world, a subtle world, and they all accept a spiritual world. And they have experience of a certain face of God. He's asankhya, the Bhagavatam says. He says unlimited limited faces. His in his commentary on the Gita says, Yadai dharmasya glanir bhavati sambabhami yuge yuge these verses. He says it doesn't only apply to India. He appears in other places too. According to the people there, in a shakti appearance, according to the Dharma, he teaches it that way. So, he has unlimited faces. Descriptions of the avatars in the third chapter of the first scan of the Bhagavatam concludes with this I've said a few, Sudhu Goswami says, but there are Sankhya.
2: Hmm?
1: So, Christianity accepts a personality of God. They kind of have this idea of a beatific vision. It's like Shantarasa. In Shantarasa, there's no interest in the, in the, in the, in the qualities or the leelas, the movement of Krishna, just the form of God. And he has many forms. So, it's this, uh, in Catholicism, as a kid, we learned the ideal is this beatific vision. So, And I say, think about it now. It's like Shantaras, to sit and bask in the beauty of the Darshan, of the Godhead. Now you go to Islam. Hmm? Within Islam, you have Sufism.
2: which hmm?
1: is kind of a combination of Islam and Advaita Vedanta. And it's a mystical side of Sufism. They've got like 99 names of God they chant and... Uh, as, uh, and um, Rumi's got these romantic prayers about God. And so they also believe in a personality of Godhead. So if you look at all of these traditions that would be part of what, what Huxley called the, uh, the perennial philosophy, they all believe in unbelievable things. Yeah. Hmm. Gods with the universes coming out of their pores, I mean, for, for example. So the descriptions of that realm that we find in you know, there are all the different forms of Vaishnavism. They all accept. Hmm? So all the real spiritualists, all the people involved in a serious spiritual culture that involves ego effacement and shedding every drop of blood to attain any one of these ideals, Brahman, Paramatma, or Bhagawan, or any nuanced form of that, hmm? it's not easy hmm, to do. You've got to give yourself entirely. Now we, we do it gradually, we, you know we know that, and we gradually develop, you know more, more scar, bhakti scar in our case, to do that, but has to come to that. All these people are positing a reality that doesn't show up on the physical plane. The descriptions <coughs> from the Gaiasas are most comprehensive. They're most detailed, um, And the more detail, the more specificity. The argument is, the more possibility of loving. Because if you're object of love, the more you know about it, the more there are specifics, the more there's to love. If it's just like a baseline of consciousness, like Shankar would put forward, it's like not a lot of love, and there's not a lot of love in his doctrine. Hmm? Who's to love? Shanti, shanti, shanti. Peace, peace, peace. And quiet. Hmm? Yes, Shankar. He has nothing to say. Hmm. But if you have a qualified Godhead in transcendence, then there's so much to be said. So these, what we, the the descriptions of the Goswamis are very um, detailed, admittedly. But they're trying to say something about the nature of that realm, and it's everything that they say, and much more. Now, everything they say means you have to understand what they say more than just literally and on the surface. What are the implications? How does it play out? What is the Leela saying in terms of sadhana? What are the lessons being taught to you? And, you know, you have... So, so again, I'll give you the answer. Hmm? Some of the sages have spoken about it in that way and experienced it in that way. Hmm? They happen to be the sages that we, we're attached to. Hmm? So, we think that that description <coughs> has great power and it has currency and it is a a partial explanation as much as words are limited to explain
2: hmm, um,
1: something, and we, we so we, we go with it in that way. Does that help? <laughs> yeah, I'll ask yeah. you again in 16 minutes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah. And you can meet him. Arjun met him. Went up there, and uh, it's right there in the bottom. <laughs> Met the Mahavishnu. Mm-hmm.
3: So, uh, it's,
1: it's quite possible. Mm. And if you have a doctrine of Achinti Beta Beta, you have to have Leela. That's the thing. If you understand Achinti Beta Beta, you understand there has to be Leela. Then you're at the liberty also to make more nuanced explanations, philosophically speaking, of Leela mm. without turning it into Advaita Vedanta or something. Hmm. So the Leela is rich with meaning and the different points are being made. The Bhagavatam is being written by Vyas. He went into Samadhi, Samadhi na nusmaru He came out and he wrote about it. Hmm. He wrote about his inner experience. And he tra- he's trying to explain there, ultimately, he's walking this tightrope between Aishvarya and Madhurya because you can't have one without the other. You can't have Madhurya unless he's God. So he's showing him God is like this and he's sweet like this. And then it's going back. It's a very, that's another thing. Amongst religious books, there is no book, and this is very objective, that can compare to Srimad Bhagavatam in terms of theological complexity, nuance, language. I mean, to write such a profound book in a poetic such profound poetry. It's mostly poetry. Some prose in the fifth canon. but I mean, it's very hard to write just profound philosophical theological uh, work. What to speak of? Do it in poems. It's incredible work. I mean, you can't compare it to the Bible, to the Lao, to what's it, Lao Tzu or something, Dao Dao Jin. Jin. I mean, they're nice books, and they make some basic points that are you know really need to be understood. But. Uh, All those things uh, in
3: the Small,
1: little, like small yeah, I mean, that, that, it, it, it is. I mean, Jiva Goswami gave so many arguments for the centrality of the Bhagavatam as for the hub around which all the scriptures of the Hindus orbit and should be understood in, in relation to. He gives a whole long argument. It's a great argument. We, can, we don't have to use that argument at all to make the same point in modern society as far as books of revelation the Bhagavatam, there's absolutely no comparison. I mean, if you want to make any comparison, you can compare the Gita, and that's ours too. <laughs> so, it's really objectively the case. I mean, of all the Hindu's books, Bhagavatam has, been, has had like over 80 Sanskrit commentaries have been written on it. I mean, that's phenomenal. It's the first, amongst all the Puranas, the books of the same genre. I mean, who's even heard of it? Kalki Purana, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's there, you know, but I mean, what does it contain? I mean, I'm not, in, you're blaspheming the piranhas, I'm just saying by comparison, the Bhagavatam, that's why it's so rich, why it's so well known, it's been translated in every Indian dialect, it's the first book of the Hindus to ever be translated into a foreign language in French, in, fr- in, in, in French, and then in German, Argumarish put it in English and so forth, I mean, it's it's an incredible book, it just hasn't, you know, we haven't understood it well enough to talk about it enough to share it with people to, to let the light go on and 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 then lead us. I go, yeah, that's uh, that's what preaching should be. We should try to turn people on so that they can be better devotees than us and and lead us on the path. Hmm? But I mean, it really is an extraordinary work. And 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 then you look at Bhakti Vinod. He didn't understand it. He has his own confession, confessional writing. Uh, until he read chaitanya charitamrita he understood it in light of chaitanya mahaprabhu then it all like every all the lights went on for him then hmm? he gave his whole life to bhagavatam hmm, to bhagavata culture hmm? and who's he what an extraordinary person bhakti you know what is his accomplishment so anyway as we we're going on and on here i'm sorry but, but it's um I mean, just look at Balaram. It's just like one figure, you know, in the book. And it's like you could write a whole, you know, volumes about his theological complexity. And it's, uh, it's very extraordinary. So our saints, their words, their descriptions, we want to say that the Leela is more than that, beyond that. They're given the table of contents to a book in which there's a page that has your name on it. Hmm? It's got your name on it. You've got to enter into this book. Hmm? And you're going to turn the page and you're going to see, that's me. I'm in there. And enter in and never come out. Krantarāsya mirbhāgatam ki jāi. Sribaldepuni Mahāmatva Tita ki jāi. Sī gaurantananda ki jāi. Tauji Gopal ki jāi. Sī gaurādham ādava ki jāi. Gaurbhāgta brinda ki jāi. Gauri premanande.